The Impact of DevNet slash DevOps on Network Design with Stuart Clark, episode 68. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, we strive to provide real-world context around technology. I'm your host, Zig Ziga. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're having a great day. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Stuart Clark. Once again, we're going to talk DevNet and DevOps and the impact that those two things have on network design and then our design decisions as well. Um, so let's just go ahead and kick it off as always. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, buddy? Thank you for having me here, Zig. I am doing absolutely awesome. Thank you, my friend, for asking. That is great. It's great to hear. You know, I know um, you've been really busy with a lot of stuff going on. You recently just got done with DevNet Create, and I heard that was outstanding. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Thank you, buddy. Um, this year, with you know everything that's going on in the world, this was a virtual event. So this was the first time we ever did DevNet. You know, uh, Create as a virtual event. This was the fourth year for DevNet. Um, DevNet Create, and so holding it, holding things, you know, virtually ha- comes with a whole bunch of challenges, but. You know, the community, when you're speaking with them live in those various chat rooms and um, hearing the feedback on, on the content and after after the event, um, it was really cool, really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, a lot of great positive feedback on the comments and, you know, all the speaker sessions, a lot went into it. So, you know, got to give a big shout out to our team who, who made it all possible. Hey, that's great. You know, um, I think that that net create uh, um, content was outstanding. It's always been great content and a great situation to be in. Um, and we always have to transform and adapt, right? And that's what we're doing. We're, we're transforming right. and adapting, right? So we do it with Cisco Live. We do it with all these other um, normally physical events. And, and you know, DevNet mm-hmm. Create, I think, honestly, was probably the biggest impact so far from a virtual event that normally is a physical event. Yeah, yeah, it is. It does make a difference. And there's an, there's an adjustment that we have to make. But, um, you know, presenting is the name of the game for me. Um, and being able to present, you know, on different on, on different mediums, you know, it does, like you say, it, it, prevent, it, it has challenges and there's, you know, you're, you adapt to those as you're kind of going along. It's a big learning curve, big learning curve for all of us. And anybody putting on, you know, these virtual events, um, and we've been involved in quite a few of them, I've got another couple coming up, which I'm speaking at as well, um, you know, on the same sort of vein about net DevOps and DevOps and some of the things that we're doing on DevNet. Um, and you know, everybody's adjusting to it, but I think everybody's really enjoying it as well. You know, everybody, everybody's enjoying it as well. I think with, you know, certain events, you know, that sometimes people want to attend, but geographically they can't, and some events aren't always broadcast so you're also opening up this to a kind of a whole new audience as well so people who might not normally be able to attend for you know for, for distance or where it's located or time zones or something and, and they they want to be a part of the event it really opens it up for those people as well so it opens up that whole new market which is you know is great and i i, I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed embracing speaking with different you know people from you know different parts of the world on different different time zones who are you know tuned in to join the event so yeah awesome yeah no that is a great great aspect right as we was he 
as we as an industry and as a world transition into this new way of doing things, um, you know, the physical events are limited to who can actually go to those physical events. And that's a limitation mm. just based on space and cost and resources and whatnot. But now with the virtual events, I mean, even with Cisco Live, um, yeah. a digital event in June, um, we had yeah. so many more people that was their first mm. time because it was virtual, yep. you know? They didn't have to yeah. travel, which is always a requirement to be at Cisco Live. Yeah, so or wear pants. What's yeah. that? Or wear pants. Or wear pants, or wear pants yeah. right? I know. Wear pants. <laughs> no. It's like coding it. on the weekend. It's like, you know, a normal week except for you don't wear pants. <laughs> That's my... Uh... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe you're in pajamas, you know? No one knows. Yeah, normally. No normally pajamas or robe. Pants yeah, on. robe. Or, yeah, so onesies. Yeah, anything onesies, goes. you know, yeah. Anything goes. I have one last question <laughs> for you on the DevNet stuff because I think it's I, mm. I, I kind of like the answer or would like the answer, and if I like the answer, I think everyone else might like the answer too. Um, what do you? What was your one takeaway this year from from DevNet Create? Oh, that's a great question. What was my one 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 takeaway? Yeah, that was um, my one takeaway from uh, from the whole event. I think it really sort of. How many people are actually had the way that the the community really champions DevNet? That was the the biggest thing. You know, when you go into this kind of event, and like we're saying, it's a kind of a new a, a new experience. It's a new experience for us. It's a new experience for the community. And you kind of go in there with this kind of you know, how are people going to react? Are they going to are they going to are they going to react in the same way? And the one takeaway from all of this was yes, they did. They 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 did react in the same way. They did. They did love the content and the way it was presented and, you know, how the sessions were broken up and the different channels and those kind of things. So I guess my one takeaway from this was, is, you know, how, you know, how, how the virtual event can really impact, you know, developers and the community's um, lifestyle and their, you know, their desire to constantly learn. Yeah, so that that's outstanding, and I appreciate that. I put you on the spot there, and then that was not scripted or anything. We had that <laughs> didn't have that question out there. I like to oh, I ask questions ones. live, right, and get the live responses. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, you absolutely. hit a couple things there. I think it's extremely important, right? You know, everyone wants to learn. I think learning is is mm. critical, right? We learn every day in this industry. There's new things. Things is yeah. probably a bad word, right? There's new solutions and new technology and, and new ways of doing business, and we always have to learn. So. Uh, Helping people to learn is is critical to success for everyone. Um, that's yeah, my own soapbox I'm jumping on though. So no, no, yeah, totally with you there. Yeah, it's 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 all up. You know, people. I get asked this a lot as well. You know, um, yeah, how much are you learning? What are you learning? How much time do you spend to learning? How do you stay sharp? How do you stay focused? And it is due to those. You know, it is due to these events. You know, like we have where it kind of. It, it leads you, it kind of makes you think as well. And then it makes you uncover technologies, maybe that are things that you might not be doing in your daily job or, you know, or you're interested in, you want to explore them or how you can tie them to what you're doing as well. So yeah, there's all of these things. It's just a constant learning process all the time, all the yeah. time. Yeah. If anyone's out there that's listening, that is, uh, you know, deciding to start in this career field, like in IT in general, like it could be networking, it could be servers, it could be DevOps or DevNet or whatever, whatever, you know, is your, your focus. Um, my only suggestion or, or guidance would be that, you know, prepare to learn every day for the rest of your career. Like mm, this, yeah. that is a prerequisite, you know, I don't think that's like that in a lot of other careers. Like, 
I'm just going to throw out something that I don't know anything about and I could be totally naive here, but like accounting, I don't know if things have changed that often in accounting over the last 10 or 15 years. And, and if we compare it specifically to IT, right? IT has changed drastically over the last like six months, let alone over the last you know 10 years. And where if you go like accounting or finance, it's not necessarily changed as much. Again, that is someone on the outside looking at accounting and financing and knowing nothing about those two <laughs> things, saying that it hasn't changed much. much. So take that with a grain of salt. Yep. Yep, totally agree. This is just a lot. It's just a learning journey. And as I say to a lot of people, you know, they say they, they kind of feel under pressure to to feel like they have to know everything, but this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. Mm. You're dedicating your life to this, you know, this, this constant learning journey. And if, you know, you go back five years of my career, would I have decided, no, would I have thought, well, I know what I know today now? The answer is no, you know, so keep, an open, keep that open mind and just, you know, just commit to this, commit to, even if it's just like learning one thing a day, Learn one thing a day. Learn something one new a day. I made this comment the other day on on Twitter. I was talking with someone, and they were saying about how you know they, they you know how they just when they think they've mastered GitHub, they realize there's so much more to it. But like something like GitHub, every single day I seem to learn something new, a new command, a new way of doing something, or you know even something simple like the difference between a Git pull and a Git fetch or something like that. You learn those you know the the differences. Um, so yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's I, would, I would 100% it really is. agree with what you just said too. Like, and this is yeah. probably not even the the topic of the show, right? It just happens to be that we're talking about these things, and these are important things, right? Um, so I'm a big fan. Like, I I will not go to bed if I haven't learned something. Like, my goal is to learn one thing every day. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be technical. It doesn't have to be, you know career specific or it specific, but the goal is to learn something new every day. Um, yeah. And, and, and because also the way at least my mind works is that when I start to learn something or start to re go through that process, I start Mm -hmm. to get uh, passionate about something. And then I'm like, bam, the creative, the creative process is happening for me. Yeah. Uh, this happened last week, actually last, um, totally off topic. Sorry. Um, but it's a use case. So, um, last week I was randomly working on uh, my website and it's coding and I haven't done coding, honestly. Like I I know you probably do a lot more coding on a day-to-day basis than, um, I do right now. Uh, I don't do coding on a day-to-day basis. I haven't probably done anything coding in probably a year. It just hasn't happened. I don't, Mm. I need to go into DevNet training. I need to go do all the search still. It's on my to-do list. Um, you know, my, I have a computer science degree, so I know programming i know c i know c plus um, plus mm. i know a lot of those other things uh but i'm i'm not as proficient in ansible and other other technologies right well i was over there coding in my website working on uh python and uh mm. and i was like wow i haven't done this in a long time but man i got i got, yeah. I got attached to it you know i was like learning it again it's, it's been a while you know it's been a couple yeah. years and I'm learning it again, mm. and, and I literally was like, I'm going to focus on this for like four days because it was like yeah. I was passionate, I was happy, I was doing yep. it. So, um, mm. yeah, once you get in that pocket, once you get in that groove, um, it's just a, it's a lot for the lot of the time. It's just starting, oh, you know, yes. it's just yes. getting that, taking that one step, getting that, you know, momentum going and things, and you know, you you, you put on your headphones, put on some music, you know, get yourself a coffee, sat down. And then, you know, the next thing you look and it's kind of like it's midnight or it's the next day or something like that's happened. It's amazing once you get into it. It's kind of, 
I was discussing this with somebody the other day, and it's like um, we were talking about it. Like it's kind of a form of meditation almost. When you think about meditation, meditation is like putting one thing in the in the front of your mind and concentrating on that, so that everything else around you just kind of disappears off. You know, the I don't know. Some people meditate for problems, or some people meditate to get away from the you know the uh, stress or anxiety or something, and they just they you know they focus their mind on something. And it's amazing how that kind of one thing, once you get in that pocket, in that focus area, that it can become like a meditation. And I think maybe that's why they call it the Zen of Python. Because <laughs> once, you get into, once you get into this, you know, and you're sort of, you know, you're in there and it's kind of, you know, that keep calm, keep coding kind of, you know, bumper sticker thing that you see there. And it, it does, it does happen. Keep calm. You know, breathe. If you need to take a break, take a break. Great. But it just, once you get into that flow, and especially if you're working on, like you said, that project side of it as well, you're building your own project. Um, you know, it's a key component. People say, you know, oh, how do I get started with Python? It's like, okay, start a project. You know, like you with your website, start that project. Become, become attached to that. You know, become involved with that. You know, on every single level of, you know, just being, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you're, you're not trying to be the next Elon Musk. You're not trying to, you know, break the, you know, you might be, you know, I read, the, I read the story about the, you know, the man who sold WhatsApp to Facebook recently. And I didn't, I didn't realize that story until, until I read it. But, you know, so you, you, you might be the next, you really, really don't know um, what, where, you know, where it's going to take you, but become invested in that and just keep working on it. And it's yeah, you're you're soon. It'll just become kind of like your baby, your little project, yep. and it's kind of nice. Exactly. So. Yeah. So there's a little story from me for you know the last couple couple days, and I I had to refocus the last uh, two days back on other things that were already on my to do list, you know. But I was like, I was so passionate about it. I was like, I'm gonna do this for four days. So I allowed myself mm. to, to like focus on it for four days, and I did. I focused yeah. on it for about four days, and I mm -hmm. got it pretty good where I want it to be for yeah. now. I got more work to mm -hmm. do, right? But I can't, yeah. I can't just drop everything, you know? So, no. um, so real quick, I would like, I have a question, um, on, you know, if you were going to be, if you were going to tell someone starting out, um, as into DevOps and to DevNet, yeah. right. Um, mm -hmm. maybe they want to be a DevNet engineer or I don't know what mm -hmm. the right terminology is for the uh, escalation. Like, you know how we have network engineers, network designers, and then eventually, you know, network architects or whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's the thing. Like what's the progression and then how can, um, someone kind of start into that progression, um, if they've never done it before? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think one of the, you know, the, the key areas where I focus in is, is, you know, network engineers transitioning into the sort of net DevOps and the network automation engineer. You see a lot of Rex jobs opening now saying network automation engineer, but the same kind of thing happens for, say, someone who's involved in software engineering and wants to learn about networking technologies and APIs around controllers, such as DNA Center, SD-WAN, because, you know, as we spoke about, the network is becoming more open. And it should be. The network should be open. Um, other teams should be able to, you know, focus and use API, API calls and not have to wait for network teams to do this. As long as you've got some governance and some guidance in there, there's nothing, nothing stopping that. And we can talk about that. That's a great question, you know, to unravel later, you know, about unlocking a network from a design perspective. Um, but when you're, when, you're coming into, when you're coming into this, um, you know, don't feel that you're alone in this. 
don't feel that any question that you ask or, or you post or something that you're going to be the first person to ask it because the chances are you're going to be the millionth person to ask, you know, this question. You're not the only person who's going to get stuck with, you know, uh, getting, you know, JSON data back or something like that or, you know, Python errors or, or those things. So, you know, don't be discouraged by sticking, sticking points, starting blocks. Everybody goes through them and sometimes you solve them by yourself. Um, and sometimes you have to ask around and sometimes people don't know. And then, you know, you can go down this kind of rabbit hole of, 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 of chasing things down. But, um, yeah, you're going to get stuck. So, I mean, getting started um, for me was all about making my, my job and my tedious tasks just kind of go away, automate all of those things and, you know, get... Um, get those things moved off my plate so I didn't have to deal with them anymore. So when you're starting out is look at the things that you're doing on that repetitive basis. And, you know, some people will say, well, if you have to do something more than twice, you have to automate it. <laughs> and yep. you know, that is, that is really, really true. So, you know, start, start looking at that, start looking to the, to the value in this. I think a lot of people then have a problem with the, you know, how do they, how do they then transition into that into their full time job? How do they then make, you know, their businesses aware? So some businesses, you know, still aren't fully adopting an, an automated workflow. There's still resistance against this, and some companies are having, you know, um, maybe a hard time justifying changing their teams into into the DevOps teams. So you know, someone might say, well. You know, in my role, there's no need for automation. I would beg to differ that every role you can do automated tasks in, in this. Are they going to be cutting edge? Are they going to be bleeding edge? No, probably they might not be, but you'll still be gaining experience. You'll still be able, you're still writing code to, you know, ultimately get away those menial tasks that, you know, nobody likes doing, you know. If I could find a medial task for, for you know, vacuum in the house or washing the car if i could automate that then you know hey I'd, I'd write that into a into a python script but that's the kind of things that i'm thinking about um there's obviously a plethora of you know stuff out there right now the devnet associate book just launched um if you're going down the course strongly recommend getting that book i've just covered covered that i think i read that in two weeks wow um yeah i mean i and i don't read fast I mean, I don't read fast. I mean, I was only really doing like Scott. I think it's about eighteen or nineteen chapters long. So I think I was probably doing two chapters or maybe one chapter a night. Some of the chapters are bigger than others, so it, that became a one chapter a night. The smaller chapters, I might might do two. So don't overstudy is another great tip. Don't feel you have to do two to three hours. Um, I was a um, back, you know, when I started this certification journey and the whole my whole process into coming into into being a network engineer, I thought, you know, three to five hours study a night was necessary. It really, really isn't. Yeah. You can just overwhelm yourself with information, totally overwhelm yourself with information. So now I kind of, I stick to that the hour, hour and a half a day kind of thing. That's why I, I feel most comfortable and I'm learning the most. I'm able to retain the information yeah, by no, doing that. So I agree yeah. with that. I'm going to, sorry, cut you off there, right? No, no, no you're good, buddy. Add, add some mm. stuff real quick. So, you know, I did a, a quick little motivational YouTube video the other day on mm. you know, learn how you learn um, because it's critical. Yeah. You know, you need to know mm -hmm. how you learn to, to be successful yeah. in this, in this career field. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I, I did the same thing. I thought you had to, had to learn for four hours, you know, yeah. study for four or five yeah. hours, six hours mm-hmm. a day to keep yourself good, to keep yourself in, in the know and, and what's going on. Um, yeah. And what I've found now for me, and maybe this will work for others or not, is that, um, you know, I might, I might study for an hour, hour and a half, mm-hmm. maybe two. Um, yep. but I need to, I need to apply that. I need to apply yes. whatever I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I need to put it in practice mm-hmm. because if I don't, yep. I don't actually mm-hmm. put it in practice. I'm not going to retain yep. it. No, exactly. And it's the same, same with me. So I, I like a blended learning way as well. And that's a bit of a good tip for people. People say, you know, do you prefer books or videos? To me, I will use books, videos, mm-hmm. audio, no matter what, I will source and scour information from everywhere. You know, like you're saying, your your short your YouTube clips, you know, they're in fact things like that are invaluable as well, you know, to just to get um, a good overview of information or to 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 really close in on a on a, a topic you're you're struggling with to, to deep dive into that. Um, so I like that and I do exactly the same as you. So I kind of I do my I kind of do my theory of learning, you know, and then I like to apply that. So I like to then, you know, do the reading of that and then I'll go and do some hands-on with it and see how it's really working, break it, make it fail, destroy it. Yeah, Yeah. bring up, see those errors, see what's happening. You know, chances are, the other thing as well is, is someone said this recently, they said, oh, um, we, I'd like the book in PDF or, you know, eBay, um, e-format so I can copy the Python code. I can just copy and paste it into my terminal. I was like, why would you want to do that? You know, I, um, I, did, um, I did the Python course, learning Python 3 the hard way, uh, by Zed. Oh, I can't remember his surname now. But it's a fantastic Python course, uh, learning Python 3 the hard way. And he was saying, I want you to type this out. Don't copy and paste it. Because when you're typing it out, you're going to make mistakes. And the idea is, is don't then go back to the, you know, the PDF or go back to the video where you've seen it or where you're copying from and do a kind of a, a like a diff, half, you know, half and half on the screen. Actually see if you can see where you're making the mistakes. See if you can identify it yourself and look over this line by line and add additional print statements in. Always be printing is what Zed says. And, you know, go through this and see if you can find your mistakes, you know, yourself without doing like a, a compare because you will learn so much from making mistakes. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, that's critical too. Making mistakes, you learn from those. Everything is a learning experience, you know? So Yeah, um, ab- absolutely. And you'll make that mistake once, you make that mistake twice. If you're like me, you make that mistake nearly 10 times. Yep. Uh, you know, and then you raise a tack case and then tax say you've got too many white spaces in there and, you know, you've really, just wasted you a whole bunch of people's time. <laughs> so you feel dumb, right? I did that last week. I felt dumb, right? Back to that. Um, yeah. Um, Python and CSS mm. and HTML work I was doing. Nothing crazy, mm-hmm. mind you, right? And I was trying to mm. format something a very specific way and it wasn't working. And I could probably I probably spent over an hour troubleshooting it. And it came down to the fact yeah. that I had it in another object. And so yep. it was formatting correctly in the other object. Mm-hmm. I had to take it right. outside of that object, right? It was bound to an object. Yeah. So yeah. um lessons yeah. learned. I won't I won't ever forget I'm that sure. now. You know? No. No. And it's a thing, it's kind of if something, and I read this the other day, I read this, um, I read a book by uh, James Clear, Clear recently, The Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah. And a good book. there was a great, yeah, really, really great book. 
And somebody I used to work with, former manager I used to work with, posted a clip, uh, posted a kind of a comment from it. He's a big fan of that as well, as well as like um, Jocko Willick as well. And um, he posted a um, like a just an image of something from the book, and it was saying about you know if if you're looking at something like that's quite big, break it down into small chunks, mm-hmm. break it down into this kind of bite-sized little pieces. And I commented on that because it's something that I do as well. So I, I'm going to speak about this when I speak to you before about, you know, relearning the guitar again and breaking things down. And then I started to learn something called diatonic scales. And, uh, but breaking those down into sort of like modes and um, little pieces. So, you know, say this diatonic scale has, I don't know, 50, 60 notes in it, breaking it down into sort of, five notes and then i thought you know this is really interesting can i apply this now to when i'm talking about python can i apply this same logic of breaking this down into this you know this way of thinking and it turns out yeah you can you can break all of these things down into these pieces and i was talking about python lists and dictionaries with somebody the other day and i was breaking this thing down and saying you know this is you know a you know, a, a great way to think about, you know, when you've got this, and it's the same when you're, like you were saying then, when you're debugging something, you know, break it down into the smallest pieces where you can, and then I, then you're able then to isolate where you're getting stuck. Yep. So it applies to both troubleshooting and learning. It, it really does. And I, I, I'm feeling like you're you're watching my YouTube videos, but maybe you're not, because I actually did one of my oh, first I'm YouTube videos. From you. What's that? I'm always learning from oh. you. So yeah, it's in here, it's in here subconsciously. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, I did one, I think it might have been the first one actually of these daily zigbits I've been doing. Um, trying to figure out if they're even good or not, you know. I'm just doing them for a little bit to see test fed, you know, doing like 40 of them and then right seeing how they do. But the first one was break big things up, you know, into smaller chunks, right? And that's, I think it's overly critical that you have to have it in consumable bite-sized chunks to be successful. It could be something large, like a CCIE or CCDE or whatever certification. It can be you're running a marathon. It could be, I don't know, you know, whatever. It could be something small too. Like I'm not trying to say diminish small things. It could be like the CCNA or, you know, whatever goal. You got to break it up into bite-sized chunks to show that you're making progress, hypercritical, all those things. And I'm going to get yeah. off my soapbox again. So No, no, it's a, it's a really great subject. And you just reminded me then. It's something that my, my father said to me many, many years ago. And it's funny how when you mentioned this, you just triggered this memory. And my I was starting to learn about engines. Uh, my father could take a car engine apart to pieces. You know, he always did his repairs. You know, back in the day before cars became these really, really complex electrical, you know, gadget things all run by computers. Um. And my father could break down an engine and fix it. And he was always fixing his cars. And, you know, he started to teach me about engines. And he said to me at that stage, exactly what you said to me then, you break things down into areas and you learn about a certain part of the engine. And then over time, you learn about another part of the engine. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you know how the entire engine works. That's exactly the truth. It really, and you can, you can take that process and you can apply it to anything. Like it's like, honestly, and, and for those that are listening, you literally can apply that to anything in your life and you will be successful yeah yeah it is absolutely uh on that you know that was a long um 
we went back and forth a little bit on that that question that the parent question kind of was about you know how can someone start into devops and the devops engineer any other um recommendations key take key items for people to take away on that kind of question yeah sure i mean so obviously i'm gonna say sign up to devnet um, <laughs> it's, uh, do it now you know, I, I, yeah do it now do it now okay pause, pause this and do it now um and i mean <sighs> You know, I said this to I said this to Susie when when I started with DevNet. How DevNet really did help me, and uh, you know, it's in many ways I feel I did become the poster boy because I kind of I went through the learning process of DevNet, and then now look at me, I'm one of the band. You are, you know. So I started with the you know the posters on my wall. Did I have a picture of Hank on my wall? I don't believe I did. Second <laughs> <laughs> so important did, question: though, What role does your beard yeah. play in the band? Oh well, the, the beard's you know the beard's you know got its own its own uh, own fan club now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's fun as center. Yeah, <laughs> so you got to do it, you know, got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's, you know, I think you know we have a tremendous amount of resource on DevNet, and it's I can't emphasize that enough. The amount of the amount of effort and value that we put into to doing that for the community, uh, it, it did help my career. It did transform my career. It really, really did. Um, and I'm testament to that. So I'm kind of really living proof. And I think you have to, for me, I, you know, I kind of, what's the saying? I eat my own dog food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I am, I am, a, I have become what I've become because of this. So I think it's, for me, that's the, it's a great step. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, thank you. I think that, I, that so uh, um, I was asking that for everyone else, right? But honestly, I was also mm-hmm. asking that for myself because I yeah. wanted to know, like, you know, Sure, I'm, I might be an architect today and I might have uh, high-level certifications, but I've not, I haven't done anything in DevNet yet, you know, really. I mean, I've talked to people, I've discussed things, I've looked at Ansible a little bit, but, like, I need to start getting started in that too, right? So I even look at myself yep. saying, well, what do I need to do? And so, you know, just talking to you right now, it's like, okay, I got to yeah. do these things, you know? So even for yeah. myself, it's the same answer. Yeah, and we have a number of different sort of paths leading into this. We put a lot of thought into this, so... You know, you can see the value proposition when you're coming in someone from a, like a software side, but you can also see the real value proposition where it comes in and how we're talking about how networking has evolved over the over the period, over the years now. So, you know, trying to think about the, the, I always try to think about the different ways or the different journeys that people take coming into our into DevNet. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to flip over to kind of the the real you know topic of the show. You know, um, <laughs> what's the impact? And the loaded question, right? What's the impact of DevNet DevOps on network design mm-hmm. and the design decisions that we make? Yeah, great. It's a great question, and you know, as, as you see, sort of the teams go through the sort of this 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 whole transformation uh, process, and it really stems back for me for my kind of first experience was was fear of this, um, and so an example of this was. Um, building this new platform for Cisco and deployed all of these um, load balancers out there. And the networking team, we were a small team, and we became the choke point, the, you know, this, the, the point where um, things would get stuck, Jira tickets, you know, or whatever the platform was we were using at the, at the time. Became the, we became the pain point um, for this. And the SRE team asked us to um, enable the API on the load balancers. And, I mean, at that point, I, I thought API was a, a lager or a beer. 
and um, you know, and you know, the kind of the question became within the organization: Well, load balancers are a network device; it's owned by the network team. Do we do we want a different team having having access to this? Um, and the answer answer to that one is yes, you do, because you know. By opening this up and, and having this, this API there for others to consume and to deploy services, to take servers in and out of the pool as enter, swap servers around in different pools, takes the burden away from, you know, the networking team. And the networking team is now able to, isn't bogged down by these constant, you know, five or six jobs which keep coming into the, into the team there. So seeing how that could really evolve the, evolve our organization and that has a huge impact not only on a money saving thing but from a customer standpoint as well because a lot of these changes are coming through through customer requests through partner requests through service requests and the you know your service has to be more sort of reactive than proactive so or proactive rather than reactive i always get those mixed up in whichever way you know proactive in that sense, and those those kind of things have to flow. So that was kind of my first experience of how this how this should really really work within an organization and within within a within a de design aspect as well. So you I know how how this how this thing would this thing would work. Sorry, uh, I, I call that something specific. Um, uh, maybe it's the wrong term, but um, I call it troop multiplier um, from a business perspective. Mm. Um, less of a technology term, right? Less of a technical term. It's more of a business term um, or even a military term if you're in the military, right? Um, the intent here is that there's capabilities. That DevNet, DevOps in general provides capabilities to businesses so that they can get a return on their, their troop multiplier. And what that means is that, that those staff people, those network engineers or security engineers don't have to focus on those tasks anymore. I did a study... Um, for my SD-WAN guide, um, if anyone's looking to get that, it's uh, zigbits.tech slash SD-WAN. Um, just a quick little guide for free. Um, nothing crazy. It's about SD-WAN. Um, but the intent here is I did a little study for it that, um, you know, if you have a software controller or something doing automation, right? It doesn't have to be a software controller yep. per se, right? In this context, it was. But something doing automation, and then you have a manual person doing that same automation, exponentially that software controller or that, that component that's doing the automation automatically, right? Automation automatically. I don't know if that made sense, but hey. Uh, that, that controller exponentially is going to be quicker and more efficient. And there's math. There's actual mm -hmm. math that goes off that, yeah. right? A manual mm -hmm. person doing the same work is uh, over the course of the time is exp exponentially going to be slower and is going to be more error prone. So maybe 10 devices, right? Maybe you're making one change to 10 devices. Maybe it's even the same change, right? Maybe you're literally copying and pasting the change to 10 devices, it might take one person an hour to do or 20 minutes to do or whatever, right? For a software controller, maybe it takes the same amount of time, right? For that, those initial 10. But once you start exponentially increasing that to 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, that software controller is going to be done within an hours versus that user is going to be done in like days, right? Um, I mean, you get that time back though. That I think I, I call out that that user could spend eight and a half hours, one full day, official, whatever, corporate day, right? Working on the task to get all those devices with that change and still not be done, make errors, and they're bored. It's boring. It's tedious, right? It's not It's not fun stuff, right? So they're going to make more errors. 
that time could be well spent somewhere else from a business perspective. That's what I mean by troop multiplier, right? Yeah, absolutely. And someone asked me this, uh, I think it was at Cisco Live, and someone came up to me and asked me, and they said, doing automation, I'm doing this with some scripts, and I'm running this, and you know, I'm updating 50 devices, and it's taking around 10 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes. Do you think that's a long time? And I said, how long would that take you manually mm-hmm. to do? And, you know, they replied to me, well, you know, and I said, honestly, how long would that, that, that take you manually? Uh, you know, calculating it in their mind, you know, we came back with, you know, hours worth of work. And I said, compare that now to your 15 minutes, you know, yes, you could probably make this faster. You, you, you probably could, you know, if you're using Python, there's ways to, there's, you know, various ways to speed it up, but you're thinking about, you know, how you're deploying this now with programmability. And like you mentioned, the, the, this is going to run, you know, error prone if you're doing exactly. it right as, as well. Um, I said, and, and, you know, think about all of those hours that you're getting back. And I said, if you haven't already pitched this to your manager, seriously show them what you're doing and show them how much man, sorry, how much hours you're, you know, saving here, how, you know, the the the, the human factor of time, time right it's resource yeah, abs- time, abs- right? absolutely how I mean, much you're saving them we we as i would whatever titles we all self-identify as right if that's engineer devops engineer devnet engineer network engineer architect whatever right um we have to explain it to the management teams that we report to the why right? What is the impact if we do this and don't do this? And I think that that's critical. And I think a lot of us actually don't have those skill sets or don't realize that we need to do that, right? Um, Yeah. And And I think that's the big takeaway, right? That's a huge takeaway. DevNet, DevOps, Mm. we're automating tasks so you can do something else. Yes. Exactly. And so... Yeah, I'd go one step further too. You know, we're, we're, we're automating tasks so you can do something else. That something else is something that's a business impacting priority, right? Because the tasks that you were doing may not have been a business impacting priority. That's where I look at the difference, right? You might be doing what I would call like O&M work, operations and maintenance. Maybe you're doing some sort of normal tasks, right? If we offload those normal tasks, we're not saying we're getting rid of people with automation. We're not saying we're, that's not, I think that's a, a myth and an un, un, uh, uncredited, uncredited myth. Um, we're saying we're refocusing your cycles to what's actually important to the business. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the way that you, you know, you mentioned the, the presentation side there. Some, some people might have a, you know, a, a trouble explaining that at a business level. And sometimes I think, you know, no matter where you are within the organization, you have to think about, you know, something at a business level um, and the value proposition within that. Um, I was on a call recently with one of our, one of our directors, Mandy Whaley, and she was saying about, um, I was due to do a presentation and it it was for senior leadership within our, within our organization. And she gave me some really great tips on, you know, how I'm focusing on, on, you know, doing, um, presentation at engineering level and at manager level to executive level. And that how that delivery changes, and it reminded me greatly of one of the big automation projects that I took on uh, when we started again automating workflows, and 
Um, it was around in enabling automation for setting up and taking down BGP peering at IXPs, so nice. unilateral peering, bilateral peering. And when you're peering at a lot of locations globally, you know, like people like, you know, the big FANG, so, so FANG, so Facebook, Amazon, Network, Google, mm -hmm. and, you know, the big ISPs and those kind of things, you know, who, who have multiple peering sessions, this um, is all done through automation. Because, you, do, um, you know, one peering place, you might have you know, 100, 200 different bilateral peerings, um, you know, off, off your device. And maintaining this, maintaining this at multiple locations is hard work. It's almost a full-time job oh, wow. as well. Wow. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the peering community is built on trust and it's built on relationships as well. It's why it's important to network with people. You know, if you go to... I can't tell you the amount of times I went to the London Internet Work Exchange links or, or, or Loan App or Nanog or something like that, spoke to somebody there and said, hey, I've been trying to get a peering session with you, you know, and that face-to-face -face time has enabled that peering session, which offloads money off transit for the business. Um, and I wanted to start automating this, automating this task, and I was asked to do a presentation for our for our directors and for, for my manager of my presentations a number of years ago. And I pitched this as an engineer mm -hmm. from an engineering standpoint, yep. which was great for the engineers in the room, but everybody above that level kind of walked away from it going, oh, I have no idea what this, you know, what he was talking about. You know, I've got no idea about, you, you know, audience, uh, right? you know, BGP and all, all, all these things. And, 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 you know, what they were interested in is the, is the value here, you know, the, 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 the money being saved. What was the business driver mm -hmm. from all of this? Why were we even doing this, you know, appearing uh, at IXPs in the first place? So all of that value proposition and, and business case had to, be, had to be built in. And I think when people are doing automation, they should be able to really showcase this and highlight this to, to their teams and to work on these projects as teams and show that value that they're having to the company. And that's a big part of it. That is a really, really big part of it. Yeah, I, I really do. I think it is a big part of it, showing that value, right? Um, I always try to, and I don't always do well at this, right? I don't, I don't always remember to, to catch myself. I like to get into technical stuff. I think a lot of us do, right? We kind of fall. That's where our easy. That's that's what's easy for us. It's the easy button um, in a lot of cases. But talking to business owners or business leaders, um, you know, they don't care about the technology. They don't. They don't care about the ones and zeros. Um, or Python scripts, you know, they care about the value, the business, the money, the, you know, what are you doing for me? Right. And so I try to always present, um, with that in mind, who am I presenting to and what do they truly care about? Right. And I try to hit that the first couple slides in my opinion. So maybe this is becoming a, a presentation, Hey, uh, cheat sheet, you know, here, do this if you're presenting. Right. But, um, you know, the first couple slides, I want to catch their attention. I want them to understand why they need to watch the rest of this presentation or video or whatever. So if I can catch them in the first 30 seconds to 60 seconds, um, I'm going to put it on the slide and I say, here's why, right? Here's the impact we've already had or whatever, whatever that selling pitch is. Um, that's what I want to do. And that, that brings us full circle into, you know, the whole design and the DevOps, yes. which was your original question, is that, you know, selling, for an engineer, you can see the value in this, but selling this to the company, selling this to, to, to people who don't do automation, 
that's the big drive. That's the design. That's the DevOps. And where it really comes into play is showing how that value is recognized to the company, to the customers, um, to your partners, to, you know, to the, to everything, to the keeping, keeping engineers fresh, you know, making them wake up in the morning and think, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going to work. I'm going to write some really cool stuff. And what I'm going to do is having an impact on the design and on, 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 on the business today. That's an important thing. Yeah. So, um, so here's a question, right. And, um, for you. So, you know, as a designer, right. And I don't know how often you're in those situations where you are designing solutions, um, for customers, um, doing like network designs or whatever. So as a designer, would you, would you recommend that DevOps be a capability or a, a almost like a, an item that you design for like, Hey, if this is something that someone's going to want or need, if you determine that that customer, that business needs DevOps, um, in some form, then, you know, there's inherent capabilities, which you've already kind of talked about inherent capabilities. And for those that don't understand that, like, um, benefits, what are the business benefits? What are the business capabilities of DevOps? Um, that's what I'm trying to say here. So, you know, if it deter- if you determine that DevOps is something that a business needs, do you design? How do you design for that? Right? Do you inherently say, "Yep, here's the capabilities," um, and we're gonna you're gonna kind of boxed into that, and that's what we're gonna start figuring out from a business flow perspective? Yeah. So it's when you're there's obviously there's two ways. You know, when you've got um, you've got you've got your network and you know a lot of people might want to be automating their you know their current network and let's just call that the legacy but when you come to build that the new network the new new network this might be a replacement or it might be an upgrade or it might be a new data center or completely new service building that in mind and going through sort of more of a more agile workflow as opposed to te- technically i see you know how i saw network engineering was very waterfall but going through that agile work workflow that work process um and doing that instead is tremendous and the value to that is 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 far greater and building all of that in building automation in from day one if possible um is really cool is is, is really really cool um sometimes you're gonna you kind of have to take a step back and say, you know, especially if this is your first project and you're building this with, you know, the automation, what pieces are, what pieces are going where, and what do you want to automate out of that? What do you want to automate out of that project? Um, And it might start small. Um, It might start small of when you're, it might just be, you know, configuration and deploying the configuration changes and then revving on that, you know, so fail often, fail, fail, fail often, fail fast, yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, deploy things. You know, um, Guy Kawasaki had a, go- a great quote about, you know, don't worry, be crappy, you know, about how you should be on, you should be always shipping, always, always shipping. And, you know, getting something, getting something out there, getting it stood up and then just constantly revving on it. And obviously, you know, in the Agile methodology, it really allows you to, to do that, you know, to, to get that feedback and get that feedback loop and keep deploying and automation really really allows you to do that in a much faster way than the human you know uh cli that we, we, we you know we keep referring to um but then once you've got that kind of piece in place you know other things start to come into play as well like you know things like um, ztp and being able to you know just send devices out there and then as soon as they're plugged in 
you know, that's how your kind of project, you know, evolves over a period of time. Um, that alone. Especially if you're doing this in a, say, yeah, in a, in a, say, an open source environment, you know, where you're using things like Python and Ansible. If you're using, you know, controller-based SD-WAN, DNA center, obviously the ZTP and, and NSO as well, all of those things do become a lot more easier to do because they're built in as part mm -hmm. of the controller's features. So it exactly. enables you to do that right out of the box. Um, you know, doing it obviously with open source, it's slightly tricky. You do have to work through a number of number of things. But, you know, I saw a great piece of code the other day. It was talking about doing this with Nornire, um, oh. the open source uh, Python library from, from, from ZTP. And they've been doing it in Ansible. And then, you know, it had gone across into doing it with Nornire. The whole thing was, you know, bringing this entire service up. And that's something that you're thinking about is putting a bit more time into that kind of planning stage of how you're going to do this in a, in a DevOps fashion, in an automated fashion. Um, so that when those services go live, it's just kind of, you know, okay, we're going to deploy the network. And then all of a sudden, wow, the network's live. Traffic's passing. Great. Happy days. Happy it's days. It's Miller time. <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. <laughs> I appreciate that. So a couple more questions and I think we'll kind of wrap it up. Mm. If that's cool with you. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely, boss. So from a, from a, a dev ops perspective i'm trying to be clear i can say devnet too right but um from a devops perspective what is a way to explain to business leaders or uh, managers of business lines of efforts whatever terminology that works the value of you know automation and orchestration in, in language that they would understand right because again we understand zeros and ones right we understand the programmability stuff we understand um you know programming um and apis but, you know, I'm thinking like a, a C-level person. Um, how do you help them understand that value as quickly as possible? I think, you know, going into it, there's, there's a couple of ways you can go into it. Um, one, you can talk about all the problems. And some people do want to hear the problems. And, you know, I don't think it's fair to ever push the problems under the carpet. The other one is to go in with... Um, what is going to be the impact? What is going to be the value? Mm -hmm. That is the, 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 you know, the, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to measure the success of this yeah, as well. Cool. And it's, it's fair play then to talk about the, um, the challenges as well. And it's like what you were saying then about those first impactful slides. I think going in is explain the impact that this new way is going to have. Explain, you know, the, why the current method might not be the best option. Why this, you know, and this current method might have been in place for a long time. Even the person you're speaking to might have been that person who implemented that method and doesn't <laughs> want to see their legacy. Their <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we all, you know, you, and you'll have heard this. Oh, we do it this way because we've always done it oh, this yes. way. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, and uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, so, Explain the impact, you know, the value, um, and focus in on those things. Find out where the business is really needing to be improved. And that might be the customer feedback loop. That might be from, the, you know, the partners or from internally within the business as well. Find out those key areas. Focus on those key areas. Incremental changes as well go into this. These are the big ticket items, the top three, the, the top three challenges that we want to we want to improve, and this is why we want to improve them. And this is the, the life cycle. And once this milestone, once this mark has been achieved, this is the next big thing that we can look at, the next challenge that we can look at. Segment it, break it down, um, and show the value 
proposition for all of those things where where all the teams come into play as well you know your teams are like a you like a production line you know and if you've read the 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 phoenix project they talk a lot about the car manufacturing sort of side where a lot of a lot of how we work today comes from you know the 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 car manufacturing side like toyota and things how these concepts have been things and it's like a conveyor belt within the you know the 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 car making or the car industry how things work how how all teams work together as well that is a critical thing and again for business leaders or for, for, for managers as well they don't want to deal with the internal squabbles of teams as well you know this team and this team it's one team <laughs> and someone used to say to me i'm going to quote andre tunk from um um, umbrella i used to I work with on uh, andre Tunk, tremendous guy what he used to say was and his team was one team one dream simple yep. and that's and that's just not our team you yep. know network automation engine net engine uh nre whatever you want to call us that's everybody one team one dream everybody everybody in the company everybody under the roof we all should be going in that direction no, I, I like that a lot. I've never heard that before specifically, like, quoted that way. Um, I've always mm. been a big fan of, like, even with customers. Like, when I am engaged with a customer on a project or something, mm-hmm. I am part of their environment. Like, I am part of their team, yes. and I treat it that way. Like, yeah. I treat their environment like my environment. Like, and, um, you know, I fully, in, in not in case, not the, not the right word, but I'll use it because I can't think of the better word. But I truly, I truly, I encase myself with that customer because, you know, I'm making decisions for them from a business perspective and an architectural perspective. Um, and so I need to know everything about their environment, everything about them as an organization. And if they're going to be leveraging dev ops, right, type of work, right, I need to make sure that they're ready for that. I mean, some of the things, uh, without going too down that, that business side of things, some of those things that... that I think are intangibles or things that are important when we're talking about DevOps from a business perspective. Like we got to redo your governance model in a lot of cases. We got to redo your policies, your procedures, your frameworks, because everything's been done for the last 10 or 15 years a certain way. And that's how they've been doing it. Like you said, we do this because this is how we've always done it. Well, with solutions and capabilities that like DevOps that provide these automation techniques and these ways to offload and automate not just tasks, but workflows, um, you know, it's a change to the business. Like this is a huge business enabler, but you have to change the business. And, and that's my biggest conversation with people. So, you know, that'd be my kind of last thing to say is from a, a network design perspective, we have to be okay with pushing back on businesses and letting them know, hey, you need DevOps. You definitely need DevOps. Um, and maybe some won't, but the ones I'm thinking of will need it, right? And then they, if they embrace it, then they have to change how they actually do their, their business. Yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah. And when, you know, when we went down this, and again, I'm going back a number of years, when we, when we changed our methodology from waterfall into agile, we actually had a, we had a an entire sort of, I think it was two days or three days, and we had an agile coach come in, and we did sort of you know the team building exercises and all different types of of, of things showing, you know these things, and it was like simple things like you know um, coins on a table, and one person would do this, and then they brought in a second person. There was like stacking coins and arranging coins, and you're arranging coins by size and all kinds of things. 
and finding the best flow for how this kind of works. You start off with those, you know, small examples and then see how they actually work within your, how this works within the transformation of a business and when they're embracing the, you know, the DevOps culture. Um, it's important to see that as well. And we had everybody at every level as well within there. So everybody's, everybody's involved in this. Wow. It truly is. I mean, it has to be. Um, if not, if everyone's not involved, that's going to be a problem. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it in some real situations with customers, um, what I like to call real, uh, raw and in the wild. Um, but these are real, like if not everyone's on the same page, I mean, you're going to have a lot of issues, um, with specifically with something like DevOps, right? Um, so, you know, Hey, uh, one last question, right? And is, is there any, any last minute comments, suggestions, recommendations for all those people out there today? Oh yeah. What's my, what's my recommendation? What's my, uh, it's your time to shine. Right? What's my, what's my, uh, yeah. What's, what's my, what's my big recommendation? What's at the, or what's on the top of my mind? Or guidance, you know, whatever this you want. Right? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, going to give you one quote, one quote, one quote today. Um, and this came from somebody who greatly inspires me. And the quote is strength from balance, insight from compassion. Wow. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's nice. My, that's my one quote. Your one quote, one, one takeaway, if anything, yeah, take that away. Takeaway. Right. So, yeah. um, and the, where can everyone find you? Um, if they want to continue the conversation, you know, ask you questions, uh, where's the best place or places to find you? So yeah, best place to find me is generally on Twitter. Uh, and just tweet me up big evil beard. I'm on there engaging with the community. Um, we have a great forum as well, uh, for the, um, DevNet certification community as well, regularly posting in there, answering, answering questions as well. Um, especially around, you know, DevNet, DevNet certification, resources things you know or people get stuck with bits and pieces or you know they you know they uh they want further learning and things i'm always always in those places as well but yeah we've got loads of loads of really really new cool stuff coming out for them that some great new sandboxes some great new learning content as well coming in the next in the next quarter working on that hard with all the different business business units um so yeah you can find me around those places and i'm always happy to answer questions Hey, that, that's great, you know, and I'll just say I'll have all those links in the show notes. I'll have a link to Twitter, LinkedIn, and then also um, Stuart's uh, Cisco blogs. He actually has over 50 blogs, so to diminish, he's got a whole bunch of content out there. So I'll definitely have that linked so that you can go and, uh, you know, read it, consume it, um, drool over it, whatever works for you, right, as a, as a potential DevOps engineer or a seasoned DevOps engineer. Um Stuart, yeah. man, I appreciate it as always. This has been great. Um, thank you so much. Um, and I wish the best for you. Uh, everyone else, we're going to wrap up the show. I hope everyone else enjoyed today's content. If it resonated with you, if you found something interesting, impactful, let us know. You can uh, find today's show notes are going to be at zigbits.tech slash 68. You can also email me at zig at zigbits.tech. Again, that's zig at zigbits.tech. Until next time, bye for now.